Hey friends, welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm happy that you can join me today in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs as we discuss photography, business, and oh yeah, that sometimes messy thing that we call life. This podcast, it's brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. All right, Boca Podcast listeners, thanks so much for joining us for yet another episode. And I am absolutely privileged to have um, still a relatively new friend, but somebody who feels like a longtime friend, Bobby Brinkman, again, on the podcast with me today. Thank you so much for making time for us, Bobby. Oh, thank you for having me back. Well, and it really, truly is a privilege. You had so much to share with us on multiple levels back in episode number 146. And so I want to refer our listeners to that episode. If you haven't heard my conversation with Bobby, episode number 146, if you just go to bookapodcast.com and even just search Bobby, B-O-B-B-I there at bookapodcast.com, pull up that episode, take a listen. Um, It's a really, really wonderful conversation. And uh, I know that you'll enjoy it because we had that conversation already. Um, I'm not going to do a lot of the, the kind of typical, typical introductory questions that I normally get into. But I, I do want to ask you yet again, because I think we may have talked about it in the last episode. Tell us something else kind of random and fun about you that maybe most people don't know. You know, I think uh, I think as we get talking and, and people start seeing me a little bit more, I think uh, just the fact that I'm just such a sports enthusiast and that I really did get my start behind the camera as a sports photographer. Um, one of the first NHL uh, women photographers to uh, cover hockey at, at a level at the pro collegiate and uh, traveled a lot of buses with some hockey players. Let me tell you. <laughs> and uh, lots of fun stories there. But uh, and again, breaking those boundaries of, you know, just being a woman in a man's sport, just yeah. being a woman covering a sport that they don't play. You know, I played hockey. I love hockey. I have the scars to prove that, um, you know, so I started my career there and just it, you know, because I love that and I love the telling of the story part, I just knew that I was no matter what kind of photography I was going to do, it would have to be the aspect of always having a story to tell. So that's how I've just built my career of, of starting back doing that. And so as, as people start listening to me a little bit and, and finding more about me, um, that's probably probably the number one connection I have with so many grooms is they're like, hey, this girl can stop a hockey puck in midair. She can surely capture a block in the <laughs> Let's book that girl. You know, so that's always kind of a fun a fun spark. I just had that last night in an engagement session. When we wrapped up, the guy was like, man, this is one of the easiest things I've ever done. And in all the photos I've taken, and I joke, going, oh, you've done engagement sessions before? And he's like, no, no, no. Just in all the photos and school photos and college photos, the photo shoots all draw out. And he goes, you know, we walked around and we talked and we stopped. And I didn't even realize you were taking photos sometimes. And you actually generally can tell that you care about what you do. And I thought, mm. well, that's exactly why I'm glad you booked me. Yeah. So it's just being relevant with the people and, and, and let them find some things out about you that don't necessarily be about photography. But pretty much my life is photography and capturing stories. And that's 37 years. That's what I've been doing. And uh, so I think as people find some of that out, I think they find it hard to believe that you've really been photography is such a strong part of your life. And I think that's it definitely makes me and I've said it before, you know, photography chose me and uh, I'm very glad it did. Well, and uh, there's so many different talking points innate to what you just said. First of all, your enthusiasm. Um, I, I think I, I mentioned this to you earlier, but it it, it is just it's contagious. Um, and it's so easy to talk to you as a result. We haven't even had the opportunity to meet in person. So I can only imagine how that translates to the sessions with your clients. I think that's absolutely wonderful. It speaks volumes for who you are. And then of course, ultimately your brand, but I'm not sure if I realized that you actually played hockey. I am, I'm seriously impressed with the, the sport of hockey. I never played it myself, but the combination of power, speed, finesse is unlike anything else out there. How long did you get to play? Oh my gosh. I played from high school all the way up, you know, um, wanted to try, did a couple semi pro things before they got big. And, uh, you know, I'm from St. Louis originally. So back in the day there, um, the lovely golden, uh, medal winner, uh, Olympic medal winner, Jackie Joyner Kersey was, uh, trying to be one of the founders taking track into hockey to, to bring some women's hockey teams into the Midwest. So I did some, uh, some since doing some playing with them in exhibition games and things like that. But, you know, it's a hard sell. Um, women's sports generally a hard sell, but the hockey's a hard sell and, and finding sponsors and different things like that. 
made it hard. But there are plenty of, let me tell you, tough women pickup leagues in most of these rinks around the country. And, and down where you are, even though you're more Chattanooga, you guys got the Predators who are making a, a big push and uh, and have done great things there in the Music City. And I think it brought hockey to a new level and a new fans. But youth hockey is growing. And, and I know there's still a lot of girls that are trying to play on the on the guys' teams. And uh, it's, it's, it's a fun sport to play, but you lace them up there and, you know, we punch and fight and, and go at each other just like just like the men do. Yeah. Um, and sometimes even worse. Um, I always <laughs> joke that you know, I wouldn't want to get on a rink um, with too many women that had bad days because let me tell you, they just take all their aggression out. Uh, you know, hand a woman a stick and, you know, and sometimes she just lets it all out. Oh, that's hilarious. Well, props to you because I seriously am impressed by not only the athleticism, but again, the incredible finesse that the, the very deft movements that you see as someone's moving a puck toward the goal is just it's incredible to me. I played soccer for years. And so that's it, you know, in some ways it's a similar sport as far as the movement of the right. the ball toward the goal, but I, that's kind of largely where it ends. I mean, the, 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 the serious combination of speed and power and finesse and, and, and endurance. And then like you were talking about ultimately fights, right. I, it's, it's, pr- it's pretty incredible. So props well, and to I, you. And I think that that parlays, especially sports, you know, everybody says it parlays into life in general, but as a photographer, even when I was playing hockey, I would always be as I'm skating down. I mean, you're skating down, you're going to shoot, you're going to, you know, block somebody, you know, not take a hit. There are so many stories in that little section so that when I no longer played and I covered hockey, that's that's the thing that I loved is finding that mom and dad who for years have drove their kid to the rink at two, three, four in the morning, sacrificed. And lots of times these are family sacrifices across the sports in general, but especially hockey one of the most expensive sports to drought to, the whole family's had to make sacrifices. You know, they get up early in the morning and they take the kids and then the parents go off to work and sometimes work two or three jobs to get their kid to a level of a D one college. And then hopefully onto the pros. And a lot of kids in hockey have to go out of high school to go play on some elite leagues so that they do get scouted. But to see that young man's first step on the ice and watch these parents. And then ultimately when they score their first goal, I was always, always had my lens find that parent and had my lens right at that portion of the, of the, you know, the windows of the right. screen, yeah. wherever I was. So I could get that parent's reaction of here's the years of all our hard work and it's coming to fruition. And that's the story. And that could be a story of, hi, I'm coming home from a long time off doing a tour of duty in the service. It's those reactions and actions that as a photographer, I eat up. And so it doesn't matter the story. It's just there's stories all over from sports to just general to things happening every day. And like most photographers, you know, I walk around going click, click, click in my head or going, hey, man, if I screwed over there, I find myself sitting at certain spots where nothing's nothing's going to be intrusive to my view or nothing's going to be in my way. Not that I'm even going to take a photo, but it's just how I train my eye and uh, to just always be looking for something that's going to happen. Well, that's interesting because I, I mean, I, I shot a little bit of sports uh, back in, in the day and um, storytelling was not something that was front of mind. So I love that you yeah. that you incorporated that even in your sports photography. And of course, it's translating to your wedding work as well. And by the way, for those of you listening in, if you haven't had the opportunity to go to Bobby's website and check out her work, make sure you do. It's B-O-B-B-I, Bobby Brinkman, B-R-I-N-K-M-A-N, photography.com. And by the way, Bobby, I think you've updated your website yes. since the last time that we had you on the podcast. What was the yep. impetus for that? Well, and we, when we first talked, I told you, I was like, oh man, I'm in the middle of changing. I'm, I'm moving. I'll give show it a shout out. We had been with the same company for literally 17 years. And it wasn't for any clients, any other vendors, because I build my website and do my work for potential clients. I want clients to like me. I want vendors to love me, but I want clients ultimately to hire me. So I want my website to speak to them. We got tired. We got tired of looking. I'm like, you know, (laughs) I'm putting the pictures up there. Everything's the same. And I've been hearing a lot of good things about showing. We had great SEO. I've been showing up number one for a long time. And I take all that into consideration. But man, had I known how easy it was going to be to change, I would have done this a couple of years ago. I think we talked about that a little bit. So, you know, I just went out there and, and we did it on our own. I did not go and, and get anybody to help us do it because they made it so easy. And, I, you know, if you, if you like that, great. If you want to get a designer, that's great. But I didn't want to be a cookie cutter. So I wanted something a little bit different. Um, So we worked on it for a good solid weekend. We marked up the time and said, Hey man, we're working on it this weekend. I wanted to have it ready to go for this fall time where we get to peak booking. So 
we were working on it when we talked the last time of that episode. I was like, man, if anybody comes over now, it's going to be broken wings. Things are going to be messed up. It's <laughs> life. I mean, that's a sure. small business life. You're, it's the process. There's never a good time to work something because time zones are always different. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we went through without transitions. I didn't do a big announcement that we changed because again, it's not really about what I'm doing. And we've had several new customers come in and say, Hey man, this is a beautiful website. It doesn't look like anybody else's. And I've had old clients go, Oh, I see our photo didn't make the cut anymore. And I'm like, Oh, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> you know? But it's like the number of, you know, past clients that keep coming back and looking that's cool for your website yeah. and that's, that's built in marketing right there. I love that. Well, it's, it's beautifully done. And, and again, props to you for making a, a change and kind of bringing things up to date and, yep. and certainly not only with your imagery, but also the design. It's, it's very, very lovely. So you all make sure those of you listening in, make sure that you go check out Bobby Brinkman photography.com. And of course we'll link to that in the show notes as well. Uh, a question that I've begun asking guests as of late is about an, the most impactful book or favorite book that they've read. And this can be on a personal level or on a business level. Does a particular book come to mind for you? You know, this is a purely honest, I am highly dyslexic. So reading for me, yeah, <laughs> Is a, and hence the joke is, well, that's why photography is, I'm easy at photography because back in the film day, like in the hassles, you know, those images were all in reverse. Yeah. So man, somebody like me, it was great. So I don't read a lot of books. Okay. I'm a big listen to books on tape um, when I'm driving or doing something, but I'm, I'm kind of like, uh, I like to read about other people's stories and whether it's business or not. Mm. So I know I may read about Winston Churchill or listen to Winston Churchill or, you know, I really like to follow the old photographers and, and how things were back in the day. And, you know, I, I love Ansel Adams and some of the stories, you know, factual, you know, truth that you hear about that. So, you know, I, I don't really, you know, I know there's a lot of new business books out there. Now that we have social media, I see everybody's talking about, you know, everything from move your cheese to, you know, girls take your makeup off or, and, and I like that. I love those things, but uh, I just, I just want to feed my soul with when I have the time to really hone in on my craft. So I want to read about some of the latest gear. Um, not that I'm a total nerd, but I really like to read about all the new mirrorless things that are happening and, and, sure. and reasons why people are going and doing that. And, and I think I've mentioned before, you know, I'm an old dog, so changing is hard for me. So I really spend a lot of time trying to figure out this social media and Instagram stuff. I mean, I seem to, uh, I spend a lot of time searching for how do I make this happen, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, just to try to keep up with the young kids, you know, and, uh, you know, and I, and I laugh when I say that cause I often talk about, you know, don't worry about who's chasing you or, or following around. But I do think we have to stay relevant and I do think we have to at least try to uh, keep current. And so I'd spend a lot of my time, uh, when I'm in the middle of editing or something like that or driving yesterday, I drove to a session, you know, I listened to a couple podcasts in the car and here lately they've mostly been about, you know, why Instagram's changing, what's happening in the world here and there. So I kind of stick to those things. That's great. Well, and it is so important to keep up to date with what's going on in the industry and on the technology side, at least to a point, um, because in order to stay, I mean, that's, it's an aspect of staying relevant, right? right? Uh, we're going to talk more about this idea of relevance here in just a little bit, but you mentioned reading or listening to biographies. I'm one of the most impactful one that I've, uh, ones that I've read uh, was a book called Steve Jobs by Walter Isaacson. Uh, it came out, I think, a couple of years or so after yep. Steve Jobs passed away. It is a just a beautifully written book, an easy read, although it is quite a long read, wonderfully insightful into the life of Steve Jobs and really lends an interesting perspective. So I, I'd highly recommend that to those listening. And of course, we'll link to that in the show notes as well. Um, speaking of audiobooks, I'm actually listening, re-listening actually, to a book that I talk a lot about on, on the podcast because it's been so impactful. And I think it's highly, highly relevant to our culture these days. And it's a book called um, Untethered Soul by a guy named Michael Singer. And I, this is a book I read initially, maybe a year or two ago. And um, like I said, I'm reviewing it again, because it's, and frankly, I need it right now. Um, so much that I've been dealing with on a personal level and on a business level that um, it, the, the notion, this idea that Michael Singer talks about in the book, the voice inside our head, the significance that we give to that um, right. is highly relevant for me. And so it's, it's been a good opportunity to go back and review principles that are certainly applicable. But as much as our society and our culture puts emphasis and weight on how we, quote, feel, 
Um, right. I, I think it's an, a really relevant book, so I cannot recommend it enough to those listening in. We'll, we'll link to that in the show notes as well, and you can get it on audio. And, uh, okay. and it, it's a really it sounds like it sounds like one of those books that you know, no matter what stage you're in, you go back and you're like, oh, one of those. Oh, oh man, I missed that the first time, and and man, what. What was it that drove me to listen to this book today? And you're like, well, that's what it was, you know? So it that, is, that's, it that's, is no, so, into that. yeah, you. it's so absolutely relevant. And in fact, you know what, I'm going to make sure I'm, it, I'll, I will actually send you a copy of that book. Cause I'd really love for you to be able to listen to, it. I'll send you the, the audio version um, cool. so that you can Thank listen you. to a copy. It's, it's absolutely beautiful. Very much what you said, relevant, no matter what, and very impactful in my life. And I, and I hope it will be to those listening in too, if you have the opportunity to listen to it. You mentioned gear earlier, and uh, I think we may have talked about gear briefly before, but what's one of the more uh, impactful uh, or maybe just simply favorite pieces of gear that you're using these days? I got to tell you, I am in love with my Fuji X-T2s. Uh, really? I already have the pre-order for the X-T3. Okay. I am by all means in my 37 years, never been the person that runs out and buy the newest, latest and greatest. You know, I'm from the philosophy of that you date the lens or the date the camera, but you marry the lens because <laughs> yep. the camera is ever changing and keeps up, but you got to have really good lenses. And so I've always been that person. Yeah. Been Canon my entire career back in uh, the end of 2016, picked up a XP2 from uh, honest to gosh, I was shooting something in Chicago and uh, one of the photographers, video guys had that. And we started talking a little bit and I was like, my gosh, the weight of this versus my my twenty four seventy and my seventy two hundred on my big Canon three at the time and the and the booster, I was like, I am exhausted at the end of these you know ten hour days. For sure, lugging a couple of these around, and I picked it up. And he was just doing video with it, and I picked it up, played with it a little bit, and he said, Hey, run for it. I immediately went, I found a used one, picked up a used one with hardly anything on it, and I was amazed. Number one, the cost of these things are incredible, but the support and the caring that Fuji, mm. they're constantly updating their cameras. You get a firmware update all the time. Yeah. They're listening to photographers. And I know there's always going to be that battle, mirrorless, three-quarter, full frame, not full frame. But I got to tell you, I have made the decision in 2017 that I was going to carry that along with my Canon. And I started pulling it out more and more. And I got to tell you, 2018, I have sold most of my Canon gear. I still bring one with me, one body and a lens. And I'm not too sad to tell you that uh, on 2019, um, I will be totally Fuji. That's and cool. And I will get me moving along that Canon to purchase this new X-T3. And again, I, I don't always need it right away. So I will probably not get it till the beginning of the year, um, let some kinks go out. But I've got a couple of the X-T2s. I've got the whole gamut of lenses um, because I do like the primes. There's really nothing that I'm missing. It's been a little bit of a learning curve on some of the flash things, but man, it's just, it's, I never, I never felt out of love with photography, but because these camera is light and it's metal, and especially here in coastal Georgia where I am, the salt, just the air when you're outside, the salt is, it was beating up my cannons like crazy. Yeah. And, you know, and I was sending them in, you know, sometimes twice a year to Canon professional services and the dials go up on top. So it's, it's, and I shoot a manual anyway. So man, I, everything's at my fingertips and I seem, I was always fast, but now I just seem to be, I can whip that sucker up and I can capture a few more moments that with my can and maybe took a little bit. And the best thing Nathan is, it's like, I'm fitting in. We all know those white lenses and those big lenses are intimidating. I don't need anybody to go, Oh my God, that's the photographer. <laughs> I really right. don't care if you know I'm the photographer. Yeah. When I was starting out, I probably wanted you to know I was a photographer, but now I really like blending in a little bit more. And I'm getting able to get into corners because the just because of the size of the lenses that are smaller and lightweight that I can hold them over my head a little bit. I can bend down on the side and and I've really I've been having a ball this year um, with these cameras and the quality. I'm going to tell you, I've always shot raw, but there are some engagement sessions that I can take those JPEGs right off that camera and be done in an hour and upload it to a gallery. They're I, that good. I love that. And I love the profiles. And again, coming from a film background anyway, I love the way Fuji does things. So, you know, I don't want to sell anybody on it, but man, you know, I know Canon and I kind of coming out with their mirrorless and everything, but as far as the price goes, the quality and just the support and the way Fuji is treating all their customers. And I'm not even one of the big Fuji people. I mean, you can, go to a million YouTubes and find all these people that shoot with Fuji. But just as somebody who's in the trenches with everybody every weekend, 
that's been doing it for a while. My back this year, my shoulders this year. Um, I have another double this weekend. And come Monday morning, I'm not exhausted because my, you know, my biceps aren't aching and my back's <laughs> right. not aching. You know, I actually, I actually just, um, I was at a local photography get together yesterday and one of the photographers actually had this very camera. It's, so it's so funny that you bring this up, but I, so I, I picked this thing up, I'm looking at it. And first of all, the form factor is incredible. I shot Nikon throughout my career and uh, certainly larger cameras that, that I'd love the form factor. And even with the, um, the extra battery pack and the vertical shutter release on the camera, it's still, the form factor was so small, so easy to fit in your hand. And, um, and yet, and, uh, you know, one of the things about smaller cameras that for me causes a little bit of apprehension is the concern about weight and how that might translate to lens shake. But right. these cameras are still solid enough. Like you said, the metal bodies are still solid enough that there's enough weight that shaking with that camera is not going to be an issue. And yet it does kind of relieve you from the maybe more extreme weights of carrying around a, um, some of these bigger Canon and Nikon bodies with right. a, a lens on top of it. So I really love the form factor. Um, do you, was it a little bit of an adjustment to get used to that electronic viewfinder? Did that yes. bother you at all? That at the beginning, I was like, why am I missing that shot? What's I'm looking at it and I'm clicking. And I'm going, what is it? But it's like anything else. When I first started, you know, you know, I looked through the camera and I would take the photo and, you know, in film days, you never got to look back and preview or anything. You just went with your gut, yeah. you knew your timing. So I think that really helped me. Um, I've talked to some other people who just have not adapted to it. They're like, man, I wanted to, but I don't, I, I can't get this. And think about it. There's a lot of younger, no disrespect photographers who shoot live view all the time. That's what they use on these hmm. cameras and they've never done something else. So this is like live view. You can see what you're getting ready to shoot and right. you can click it. But it, that was a very small learning curve to me. It's, it's now that, and again, would I say starting out in my career, I would grab one of these and shoot a hockey game or something. I've seen some of my good hockey sports photographers and some of my sports illustrator photographers that I'm very good friends with. They're taking these things out, test driving these things at football this weekend. And they did a couple things last weekend and it's getting there. I mean, you know, you got a couple, they got a couple big zoom lenses, but for wedding photographers and portrait photographers, this sucker is right on. I mean, it comes down the aisle, it nails it, it has tracking. I do not use all the face, the recognition. I'm still a little old school, but the X-T3, it's got, you can put your, it has eye recognition and so many things that I would never use. But for a general photographer who shoots in manual, once I got the timing down and it's so quiet. I mean, there's times yeah. I have to question myself, did I just take that snap? <laughs> but yeah. I mean, it's great in some of these locations when you want to be quiet. So there was to me, there's far more pros and cons to these cameras. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, it, but you talked about the dials on top of the camera and the yeah. easy access. And, and I think that's a really great point because one of the things that I did love about the Nikon bodies was the ergonomics and, and in particular, the layout of the functionality, the buttons and the menu access. Um, in contrast to the Canon system, I've, I've not been quite as impressed, but I did notice that yesterday in holding that X-T2 that those dials are so easily accessible so you can the lenses you can hear them click like old school yeah, you know what i mean yeah. it's like the lenses you know i don't have to sit here and go click 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 with an arrow i don't get to pull it away from my face dial down to get my you know particular f-stop changed i literally and if you want and you can still do this you can go manual iso or automatic iso you can go auto shutter speed and just dial right there where your lens or your hands already holding the lens you can adjust your f-stop as you're going so Anybody that's used to doing that, that really likes that. And I think maybe that's what's made it so much fun for me and, and changed me a little bit this summer is I, I, I knew what I was doing. I went back and said, hey, you know what? I know I want to do the Sunday 16 rule. You know, hey, I know that I could shoot this at 1.4 on my Canon. And I know most Canon lenses, you know, same with Nikon, 1.4 wide open. You buy them to do that. But we all know that's they're not the sharpest. They all have a magic F-stop in there. But I can sit here manually and go, hey, you know what? I'm going to go F2. And yeah, I can bracket the old fashioned, you know, I can go on the camera bracket, but I can now just go F2, 1.4, you know, 5.6, whatever I want to do real quick and get three exposures and be done and still feel like I'm in charge of what's happening instead of the camera being in charge. That's and cool. And I know in all the other, you know, Canon, Nikon, you can do that too. But this just seems, again, everything's right there. It's definitely made me faster. And like I said, I was, I'm pretty darn fast, you know, being a sports photographer, but it's, 
I don't know. I just, I just, I think I just, like I said, like I said, I like the fact that I am blending in and man, I can tell you this. I stopped getting a ton of questions at weddings going, Oh, what's that big lens? Or, hey, <laughs> how much money is that? Yeah. Now, people, now I wonder, and that was one of the things I first thought of. I'm like, are people going to think I'm just a hobbyist? And in a way I thought, you know what? People are acting more natural when I come around hmm. because they don't really see me putting the camera up to my face. They don't know that I'm that person with this big white long lens across the room. And once they know I'm aiming at them, change how they act. So I am finding that people are much more down to earth, much more open. And I'm not spending 20 minutes with Uncle Bob asking me 10,000 questions <laughs> about the camera. Like I felt I was all every weekend on a Canon. It was, oh, man, one or two people that would just follow me around and be like, so how much is that lens? Oh, man, how much really? How, what kind of bag do you carry that in? And you're just like, oh, come on. You know, I'm, I'm all about helping you, but you're asking ridiculous mm. questions. You know? <laughs> well, and speaking so, of bags, I mean, the, the form factor means that you don't have to carry as big a bag, which is really nice exactly. too. But you mentioned the flashes, and, and I'm going to be a little bit selfish here and ask, because I was really curious after playing with that camera yesterday. You mentioned you've been having to kind of work through uh, maybe a learning curve with yep. the, the flash. Is it a dedicated Fuji flash system or what system are you using with Godox the camera? Godox is what I picked up okay. and uh, and that's what Fuji is going for. And you can, they, it's Flashpoint, I think by Anorama or Adorama and Godox. So it depends on where you get it. But I went with Godox and they, and, and again, it's a small profile. So you put this little flash on top and they have three or four different versions, but I went ahead and got one of the smaller ones. And then I've got two large ones that I do for off camera flash and they work exactly the same way. The cool thing about these is, man, they are half the price. I, I never full disclosure. I never purchased the uh, big 600 T's. I thought they were way too overpriced for yeah. what they did. For Canon. So I was always with, you know, an off brand anyway. Well, I'm, I'm looking on Amazon right now, and yeah. for $176, you can get two flashes plus the um, the transmitter. That's amazing. Yes. And that's exactly what I did. And, I, and, and the cool thing about it is I can put the flash on my camera, and it has a built-in transmitter. So I can put the smaller one when I'm on the dance floor, that small profile. And you talk about having Uncle Bob and everybody else drunk on the dance floor, not knocking your camera gear off. I can stick that sucker with my small 16 millimeter 1.4 lens, which sometimes I don't even put the flash on, I am so small. It's like having a just. It's a, it's like it's smaller than an iPad. By the time you are using this sucker in front of you, so just a tad bigger than your iPhone with a flash on it, and I can put off-camera flash on the side, and that would trigger. And and it's amazing that I'm getting you no know, nice front coverage and back. It's taken a while with I you know I've always been with N loop and or on loop however you say that. And it's a cycle time's taking me a little bit longer to adjust. Fuji, uh, Godox has now come out with some of the bigger flashes that you can see on there where you've got the built-in battery built in there. Um, I haven't purchased that yet. Um, I think that's probably a little bit overkill for what I like to do, but at least it's there in Godox. So they're keeping up with what they're doing, but that was been the biggest curve. It's, it's just a setup a little bit different than, and how, than how you do it. And with it being the mirrorless system of Fuji, sometimes when you had your flash, and you took a photo, it went totally black. So you're like, did it capture it? Did it not capture it? So I've had to learn a, a couple of things like that. And that's just a matter now. There's some new settings in there. So now that, you know, doesn't happen when I'm taking a photo. But there, it's pretty powerful. And, uh, again, so lightweight. And for the price, if one of them gets knocked over, not that I want that to happen, it's a lot easier on the pocketbook to not drop a $700 flash than drop, you know, a $100 flash. Well, and I actually, so I'm curious about this. I shot with the uh, young Neo. Yeah. If I'm pronouncing that correctly, system and and at similar price point, the the biggest drawback with that flash was that it didn't have the um, the infrared focus assist that my Nikon flashes used to help me with on my Nikon cameras, where I could literally hold the camera above me at a reception, focus and snap a picture, and I knew it was going to be tack sharp. I couldn't do that with the system. Does the the Godox system have any kind yes. of focus assist? And that's and I'm the same way. When I first got my XT2, so I, once I got the used one. Then I purchased a new one. Um, I was using my Yungo systems and it was working, but the flashes were so much bigger than mm. the camera itself that okay. it was, it was definitely not heavy. So it's one of those things where I thought, okay, here's what I'm not going to like, you know, the camera. And I got the booster on one camera, not on both. And I'm like, and for the simple fact of, I like the extra battery part in there. And I, I like the way that, cause I think being a sports photographer to begin with that extra bulk was just habit for me. So when I put, even when I put the, you know, the, flash on there. I'm like, man, this is just not going to work. It's too top heavy. I can't hold it over my head right. It tilts it. So 
I got rid of that once once the once I saw the Godox and when I saw that system and I got that system that you that you see right there on Amazon and uh, I've been happy with it ever since. I've now got I picked up an extra spare one. Um, but I mean they're great. They're so small and light that I can put them on a shelf or a small spot in a reception. Like if there's a five minutes like this weekend, I'm close to Georgia, but I'm in a place that has a fireplace. Go figure. It's going to be 90, 40 degrees. <laughs> but there's a fireplace for decor and where they're setting up for some of the speeches and everything, I can sit the small little Godak flash up on this shelf above the fireplace, and it is like a backlight where the where the bride and groom are sitting and the speech is going to be, that I'm out front with that other flash on my camera, yep. and it's working like a gem. And it's, it's so small and light that nobody really sees it up there, and it's better than me putting a stand back there and somebody tripping over it. It's perfect. So, well, but did you say it does have focus assist on it or no? Yes. Yep. So I picked that. I can pick that sucker up and it's helping me do it. And I mean, I've, like I said, that's been my biggest learning curve. Off camera flash was never my strong suit to begin with. So mm. I should preface it by saying somebody else could probably fly through this part of it. But um, I just think it's worth, I think, and I think as trace shows start coming up, we're going to start seeing more and more. And, you know, now the fact that they're coming off the XT3, like I said, this is 20, I know this year I've, uh, I had the Canon just sit in the bag. Um, and the last, you know, these last couple of weddings, I haven't even brought it with me. Um, it's, I'm closing up to my house and if something would happen, I can go back and get it. But I have my backup, all my backup gear. And like you said, my uh, two big think tank banks that uh, are taking a back seat to a, a nice small bag yeah. that I throw over my shoulder and tuck away easily under the cake table and nobody knows my gear bag is there anymore. So it's, uh, it's, that's been another, just, it's so easy. It's so that's light. cool. Well, and I, I want to get to our, our topic about relevance here in just a second, but I do want to point something out or reemphasize, if, if you will, something, a point that you made, which is the significance of off-camera light for the sake of creating rim light or backlight. Yep. It really creates, and, and it's not difficult to do with these, these flash systems, um, whether you set it in a stand or a shelf like you were talking about, Bobby, or um, I have a, 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 a clip from Manfrotto where you can act that has a, a cold shoe on it. You slide the flash in, you can clip that on to, in fact, the, the wedding that I shot a few weeks ago, I clipped it on to the top of a, a big door um, and pointed it out to the dance floor outside the reception hall and was able to photograph dancing with a, just a beautiful rim light or backlight. And it sometimes it, it created a bit of lens flare, um, but it creates depth and dimension and interest in the images and you don't have to have a lot of technical knowledge to do it. I, I can't recommend it enough to, to photographers who are not using some type of off-camera lighting at this point. Yes, put that, that flash on your, your camera itself to, to create a little bit of fill. That's important to have that, especially if at some point you move away from the range of that secondary flash. But um, having that secondary flash as really your main light off-camera, creating right. beautiful, beautiful light, whether it's rim light or backlight or um, and again, even a little bit of lens flare. It's really interesting. Cannot recommend that technique enough, but we'll make sure to link to those, those Godox flashes in the show notes as well. For those of you that are curious, make sure you do go to Boca podcast, B O K H podcast.com. Haley does a wonderful job putting together show notes from these episodes and it's really a wealth of information and resources. So make sure you go take a look at that. Bobby, you, you alluded earlier to the fact that you've been in business for 37 years. Uh, and first of all, you have you still have a passion about what you do, which is unusual and, and quite exciting and exemplary for sure. But ultimately, to be in business for that long and to shoot as much as you do, I mean, you're shooting roughly how many weddings this year? Um, we're sticking at 50 this year. I'll be 52 when I get done. That's that amazing. Be, uh, 50, yes, when I finish up in... Uh, you know, oddly enough, just got a couple of inquiries today for some December weddings. And, uh, you know, if, uh, if those pan out and are of interest, uh, you know, we could, we could hit the 55. Um, the most I've ever done is 60. I really try to cap it at that. But every time I say that, you know, somebody's cousin of one of the weddings that we did, <laughs> one of the maids of honor is yeah. getting married and, and then I'm like, okay, you know. I only point out that number just because it's, first of all, it's unusual. Most photographers are happy if they have, you know, 15 or 20 weddings. Right. Um, so not only are you in business, but you're doing quite well for yourself in business to be able to continually book 50 weddings a year. That's absolutely incredible. Uh, the, the big question that I have for you and, the, and the, the kind of the topic that I want to focus on for today for the sake of our listeners is how do you continue to stay relevant enough to continue to not only just exist, but to run a successful, thriving business? What is the, the driving factor or driving factors that enable you to stay relevant? 
Well, you, you hit on it earlier when you when you first mentioned it. It's I really do like what I do. Hmm. I mean, I really do like. I'm mean, I'm very fortunate that I like my career. Um, Saturdays or Fridays or Sundays or whatever you know genre of photography that you're in, you know. And if you're doing this full time and you don't have a nine to five. Monday through Tuesday or Monday through Thursday. For me, it's usually Monday through Thursday. I'm doing all the other stuff. I'm answering the phone. We're answering email. I'm chatting with other vendors because I love, you know, working and, and helping people and supporting. So I get to do all those things. But is that creative, creatively fulfilling me? Yes or no? Because I do like the education side of it. But man, when you get to a Friday or Saturday, and you get to be behind that camera, whether it's a new Fuji camera or the new Canon camera, and you actually go, okay, I get to play with this. Here's all the new gadgets I have. Yeah. You actually get to be the photographer. Everything that you do all through the week leads you to being able to, on those days that you're shooting a wedding or a senior portrait or school event or whatever you're photographing, you get to just be that person. In the back of your mind, you still should be aware that everybody that's in front of you is a potential client. Everybody you're working with is a potential client. But for the most part, you get to do what you've worked all week long to do. And for me, the privilege and honor that somebody trusts me, likes the way I tell stories, and has given me the honor to tell their story is just impeccable. And that's such a driving force behind, I can't wait to be with you on your wedding day. It's like, I want to be that old friend that comes with a really nifty camera and gets to tell your day. And I work hard through the whole year. Most of our clients book me out. Um, most of them are about 18 months to two years. My couple tomorrow has been with us for 18 months. My October 20th couple booked me two and a half years ago. Wow. Um, and, 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 and literally booked this, didn't change things, said, hey, look, I know I'm getting married. This is the day we're getting married. I can't book this venue yet, but we know we want you. So by the time I get to these, these couples and their days, I know their family. Um, I have went through deaths with them through the time that they've been with us. And so I'm generally, it's true. When I show up in your day, I'm happy to be there. And talking to you through your aches and pains or, or wedding planning, I'm, I'm a source of, well, that's a small thing. Let's, let's look at the bright side or that's really going to be nothing on your day. And everything aside from being the photographer has led me to the day to be a photographer. Mm. And I think just because I love what I do and it shows, I, I don't have some of the sadness and things that I hear from other photographers. And, and when I hear burnout, I often want to say, are you burnt out from the day of doing it? Or are you burnt out of the things that lead up to it? Because if you're burnt out of, of snapping away at weddings and taking pictures, then you probably should step away because you're not doing yourself or your clients, you know, a service. But if you don't like the part that goes with being a photographer, then outsource it. You have plenty of places that you can do with strong suits that, you know, that you can get rid of that and alleviate that burnout. So for me, because I really, really, really do love and passion is such an overused word in our industry, but I really am passionate about what I do. And, but I just really care about the people and I really do care about this craft of photography. I mean, the power of photography is so important. I mean, it's all over my website. It's all over. I hashtag it all the time. Think about it. We're the family historians on this day. And were there stories of did the sunset that day? We're in hurricane season here where we where we where I live in uh, coastal Georgia. And last year this time I was just getting back from being evacuated and on a Friday before we got evacuated or you know the Monday everybody I literally could have took the last photo on that pier. I could have took the last photo on that island. That's just the surroundings. I probably took the last photo of somebody in this wedding. Saturday's wedding has somebody who is stage four cancer. And they've come to me and made me aware of it. Wow. I will not single out this person in any manner, but you'd be darn sure, Nathan and listeners, that I'm going to have plenty of photos of this woman interacting with people mm. because that's going to be the story. Because sadly, I do know I'm probably going to be one of the people who took the last photo in a happy situation. Wow. Even though she's severely sick and confined to a wheelchair, she will be in these photos. And I will do it in a manner that is respectful of her and that will represent her in the right way. So think about this is what we get to do as a living and as a career. And man, that what a privilege to be of service to these people and give them tangible memories. And you know, being a photographer and so do most of your listeners, everybody's going to look at that photo and come up with something different about Aunt Susie 
that's not her name, but for the sake of the podcast, <laughs> sure. you know, and somebody's going to say, Oh, look at Aunt Susie. I remember that dress she had on or that's her laugh. And the one photo can have 25 different meanings. That is the power of photography. And how, how do you not be excited about that? How mm. does that not just like right now? I mean, even talking about it, I just, the goosebumps on me, the privilege that I get to do that and tell that story, all the stuff I do Monday through Thursday played a vital role in getting here, but it's the stuff that I could put away and I get to just be the photographer and capture all these moments for these people. Because think about it, Nathan, even the guests that come, a hundred people come to a wedding, hundred people come to a sporting event, hundred people come to any get together for the two or three hours or longer events. These people maybe in the back of their mind have something bugging them. Oh man, I got that bill to pay or I mean, I may not have a job on Monday, but for a short period of time, these people are celebrating life even sometimes celebrating death, celebrating somebody else. So the stress comes off them a little bit. They've made the investment to be there. So for this short time, everybody at these gatherings are there for another reason. And our job is to show what's happening during this time. Our job that we're privileged to be tasked with is to capture these moments that people will have for all the future generations to look at for history to look back and look at, oh, there's a pier, or look at that building. How many? There's so many listeners, I'm sure, that have probably taken a photo at a building and two years later it's been demolished and something else has gone up. We're part of history, and we need to get our photos out there because we all know that the photo history is you know, diminishing, and you can't really find something that shows what happened or what something looked like. But even on a wedding day, there's so much more that we get to do that if you're not excited to be there, Man, every single person there is going to say, why are you here? Are you just here to collect the paycheck? And I'm never going to be that way. And I, I, so I don't think I will ever get burnout in that manner because I get so excited because of the privilege. And I think that's what drives me. And the foundation that I built my career on, I will always put people over profits and people always matter. And simply being kind literally keeps my phone ringing. I'm never going to be called because I'm the best photographer ever. Ever. I'm not even, you know, I'm so below a million other people. Not that I compare myself. I continue to improve myself for how I want to be, but I'm authentically me. And I think people see that first and foremost, that I deliver a story. People see themselves in my story. And when you set out to build a business and then know it's going to be a career in that manner, I don't know how you can't succeed. And success is a definition that we each define whether you want to have six figures in the bank or you want to work every single weekend. And by me doing 60 weddings a year, by all means, I'm not charging $10 million for these weddings, but I'm also not charging $500. I make a very good, I'm very blessed and honored to make a good living doing what I do. But did it come with trials and tribulations? Sure. But burnout is something that I, I, I just, I have a hard time with. And I think it's just the photographers change their practices and get rid of the things that they don't like to do. By the time they get to a wedding or a portrait session, their whole mood's going to be different. And I think they're going to see their work reflect differently. Clients are definitely going to see the change in you. And why would your phone not be ringing? Well, and so, wow, this is, this was, this was a great monologue. We could essentially end the podcast now and our listeners would walk away with so much. And so I want to kind of touch on multiple points that you made, but to begin with, and, and to your point and a very pragmatic point at that. The, the notion of outsourcing what either you're not good at and or don't enjoy doing, it's definitely immediate solution for the potential burnout that you're referring to. And so I think that's a great recommendation for our listeners. And, you know, for that matter, that's largely what Photographer's Edit is about. It is handling that busy work that can be so taxing and monotonous. I mean, the idea of sitting behind a computer hours on end, especially if you shoot as much as you do, Bobby, um, can just be so taxing on multiple levels. It can certainly eat into the potential creativity and excitement that you might bring to a wedding. So that that's great practical advice. But the well, other... And, and too, Nathan, think about it. When you, when you started out to be a photographer, and, and maybe some of the newer ones are starting out, but, you know, those that have been around, you know, with me, and I put my in that category... You know, when I started in film, we didn't sit in the computer. So after we did the Saturday's wedding, yeah. our Monday and Tuesday might have just been, okay, packaging everything up and getting it to the lab. And right. then hopefully on Wednesday, you come back and do. So I don't think any of us started out to go, man, I love taking photos, but damn, I'm going to hate Monday. Right. You know, because you didn't. I don't think that this crew was ever meant to be, hey, now I'm going to sit in front of a computer 
and I'm going to sit here and go through 10,000 images. And again, shit with intention. I mean, I, I'm not a fan of this, you know, pray and spray, you know, I, shoot with intention. When you see a moment, take a moment. Do you think, I don't think you need to shoot on high drive and get 25 at a wedding. A sporting event's a little bit different, but if you shoot with intention and you're not coming back on Monday with four and 5,000 images, then you're only going to deliver six or 700, man, you're doing that to yourself. Right. Um, and, and so getting photographers at it and working with them, I don't have to do that. I think it's a learning that we all learn. So I think we should do a little bit of calling and editing, but if that's not your strong suit, don't do that. If you don't like, like with me, I struggle with, should I get rid of Instagram? But I'm like, you know, I'm so true to me. I don't know. I can teach anybody else that find the things that you want to do. And, and we live in a generation where there are so many virtual assistants and other companies like, like yours that can help immediately fix something. And man, just the stress level alone. If you want to shoot 4,000 images on Saturday, you know, you're not going to sit Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, just calling those images just to do it all again on Friday. No wonder we have burnout in this industry. And I think that's a big cause. Well, but you also do make a, a great point, which is there is an importance to having a certain level of awareness about how to process an image in Photoshop or Lightroom. If for no other reason, than the process of delegation, whether it's an in-house assistant or a company like Photographers Edit, requires communication. In order to be able to effectively communicate what you want as right. a manager, as a CEO of your company, you have to understand how the process works. So yes, have a certain level of awareness about what that process looks like so that you can communicate it in the delegation process. I think that's really great. But I want to touch on this, this conversation from a, a little bit more of a philosophical standpoint, because you talked about the passion for your craft. And I love that after 37 years, I, you talked about getting goosebumps. I I was getting goosebumps listening to you talk because your passion is very real. It is an overused word these days because it's used in instances where there isn't actually passion involved. Right. You have a, right. a legitimate, genuine passion that's, that is very contagious. But what I find interesting about the, the ideas that you were sharing earlier is that your passion largely comes from not focusing on yourself. And you know, the, the, the conversation around burnout, part of where that burnout comes from, I think these days is that we spend so much time and I've certainly been guilty of it multiple times over. We spend so much time inward looking at ourselves, thinking about our own drama, whether it's in our own life around us or even the drama in our head, we get so focused on it rather than doing what you're doing, which has an outward focus. And, and by that, I mean, I mean, you talked about, first of all, the privilege of being at the wedding day, looking that, looking at that opportunity as a privilege, the privilege of the relationship with this client, the fact that they're letting you into one of the most intimate days of their right. life, the privilege of capturing history, looking at it from that perspective rather than just a job where I have to go take some more pictures, and then the focus on kindness. This is all outward looking, and it's, and it's focusing on bigger ideas than just yourself. And I think that has a lot to do with why you're able to maintain this level of passion after this long is that there's an outward focus on others and on ideas bigger than yourself. That's what's driving this. And I think it's wonderful, a wonderful example for all of us, myself included, um, that, that that is your focus. Um, so well, I, I think, and I think it's true. It's like, you know, sure. What I love, just like you were talking about, you know, setting the you know, flash on the door, what I love to say, okay, stop. Now on this particular spot, I got you got this great spot for this flash that you stuck on the door. We, you know how many cool things we can do on this dance floor. Everybody stopped, and we did this, this, and this. Or let's go outside and put twenty flashes around you and create this epic photo. Yes, do what I love to do. All those things. And here's here's the key, and I and I mean it with all due respect. When your clients and your couples invest in you, they invest with you because they know that you're good. And they, will, and they will invest with you because they like what they see. But they will invest with you over and over and over, and they will trust you on the wedding day because you've never made it about yourself. They know you're capable of taking these epic photos. But if you've listened to them and you know that those epic photos are not important to them, and then all of a sudden you look outside, especially here with me where I am, I might see, I'm editing a, photo, a session right now, where I do have those cotton candy skies. I looked out and knew I had like two minutes. I just simply grabbed the bride and groom by the hand and said, hey, follow me, follow me. We text two steps out. I literally took like 24 pictures like in less than a minute and just said, be yourself. Just talk. Walk them right back in with their hands. Put them right back on the dance floor. They had no literally idea that I literally what was even behind them because I never really gave them a chance to look and walk back in. They were not an epic photo couple. 
but they're going to love this photo. And the sneak peek that I gave them was like, oh my gosh, thank you for taking two seconds out of our day and giving us this memory. But because I had that relationship with them and I listened to everything they said and did not say, allowed me on that day to still get to do something that I wanted to try as a photographer. But it's never, ever, ever, and my career will never be till the day I die will be about me. I'm not going to be that rock star person. I have nothing to sell you. Ice, this is me. And when I get to your day and you invest, and I firmly believe, just like you said, we're total strangers. All the vendors and wedding pros that work on this day, a couple has to trust you. But they will invest with you and they will buy from you because they trust you. And think about it. Weddings are an emotional business. People will invest with you because they like you and because they believe in your kindness and they and, and they want to do business with people that they trust and that are kind and that generally they can feel, you know what, you really want me to have a great day too because I really do. I, if you want to spend $6,000 on a cake, spend $6,000 on a cake. I'm going to photograph it the same as I would if it's a $100 sheet cake from the local grocery store. And I say that and people believe me because they see that. And that's why I think when you get to the wedding day, you already know your couples because you've listened and you've talked to them and you're not trying to pull off something that's going to make you look great. Because in the end, you can get that epic photo published. You could have no offense anybody out there, 10,000 sponsors coming to you to use that photo somewhere. And that is fine. My key is to always keep doing what I'm doing and be able to support my family in a career that I love. And my job is to be of service while I'm here on this earth. And if I get paid for it, I'm thrilled. If somebody calls me and says, hey, can I use this epic photo on a billboard? I'm doubly thrilled. But the goal of my day was to give these couples and their families and their friends moments for that short period of time that when they look back at it, no matter what kind of day they're having, they'll remember their loved, they remember how you felt. And I firmly believe that people will always remember how we treated them. And any vendor out there, that's key. People will always remember how you made them feel and how you treat them. And if you go all rock star, no matter whether you're the florist or the caterer, if you start trying to make this day about you, you're going to have a really hard time. And I totally understand why you get burnt out and you want to hang it up. And this craft is oversaturated. But those of us that have been around for a long time, if you sit back and talk to any of us, we're pretty much still doing it the same way we did it from the get go. And I'm not trying to follow a trend. I'm just being me and my clients appreciate that. And that's ultimately, Nathan, the kind of clients that I attract is people that are generally authentic and want to have a story told that reflects them. They need to look back at their wedding images and see themselves, not, oh, my God, why did we go off at the end of this boardwalk and look like I'm getting pushed in the ocean? You know, <laughs> I mean, those are all beautiful pictures. But if that's not your couple, they're never going to be relaxed enough to do that. Yeah. So listening and not listening and hearing and not hearing what your clients want, man, even if you just booked them for a month out or versus two years out, you're going to have a day where you get to really be, I mean, I forget I'm a photographer on that day. I mean, I'm just so glad and happy to be there. I'm taking pictures. And and, and again, it's that enthusiastic, contagious, because you know how fast, if somebody's in a bad mood, man, look how long it takes for everybody to get mad. If one vendor is annoyed, if, it, if I walk in the hair and makeup, people are like, oh my God, these people are being real pains in the butt. Well, you've been here for five minutes. How do you know that? And wh what mood did you come in with? You know, so there's so much more on a wedding day than just snapping a photo. And you've got to know your gear inside and out so that it becomes just second nature. You know, you should be spending your time, you know, trying to figure out things. When I get to sometimes at the receptions, when I was going to the spooky stuff, I'll find it. I'll make sure I have everything covered. And then, yeah, there's a couple of times that I go, okay, I'm going to try doing this just to see what I get. But I, I, I'm not taking myself out of the moment of my couple, but I also have to do something on and learn things on actual events so I know what to do, what not to do. That will also help me grow as a photographer, and that helps feed that side of my soul, knowing that I'm improving myself with every single wedding, technically as well as emotionally. Well, you know, and something came to mind as, as you were finishing there. It, a lot of photographers, especially those who are – very much focused on the artistic side of being a photographer. I am an artist. I need to to place significant weight on my craft, the time that I give my craft, all the equipment tied to it, the process. I am an artist. Right. They may be hearing you and saying, well, what does this have to do with photography? That the beauty of, of this 
philosophical approach really to running a business with all, which ultimately leads to um, the ability to stay relevant is that it's not mutually exclusive with being an artist. The cool thing is you have put yourself, Bobby, in a position where you're focusing on the needs of others, serving others. And a lot of what drives that is your beautiful perspective, which I kind of uh, broke down in multiple points earlier. But what that then does is bring you tons of business. People want to work with you because of how you approach your business. And that, of course, then in turn gives you the opportunity to be the photographer, to be the artist. So it's not that that goes away, but I think the important point here, if we're asking the question, how do we stay relevant after so many years as a photographer and as technology continues to change and marketing uh, uh, techniques continue to change, how do we stay relevant? The focus is on other people. The focus right. is on relationships and right. ultimately maintaining a perspective that, that drives a certain humility in our approach and working with our clients that um, is going to make them want to work with us. And I think that's and, and really that goes, the key. And then Nathan, that goes to your wedding pros too. If you have wedding planners or wedding coordinators or the florist, if you are kind to them and you are out there going, hey, how can I help you? How can I help your floral today? How can I best help you? I'm going to take photos of yours, but can I help you today? Is there anything special you might need while I'm here? Um, do you need a couple of close-ups of this? Hey, wedding planners, make sure at the end of this, I'm going to get a couple of photos to you really quick. And also, do not forget to include these other people. These other vendors are just as important to the story, to the client, as that, that's what made it. The planner designed something, perhaps. The caterer certainly cooked. So I often make sure I get individual photos of those. I often take photos with them. I try to get a whole team, a photo real quick together. And lots of times my bride and groom will slide in real quick because they want to be part of it because you know what? They're grateful that all these people came to service them today. And so you want to be that vendor and you want to be that photographer that every other vendor wants to work with. You don't want to be that, oh my God, I have Bobby today. Man, is she high maintenance? She demands five hot meals serve four hours for everybody else or, or X, Y, and Z. And they know, yeah. we all know that there's people like that out there. Yep. I want to be the team. And if I have a planner or coordinator, guess what? You're the team leader. I respect you and your position. You respect the fact that I know Bobby wants to go out. Bobby likes to do these kind of photos and Bobby is a storytelling photographer. Hmm. So Bobby's timeline comes into play here. And just like on Saturday's wedding, it's like, here's the 37 pages, as a matter of fact, for the wedding planner. But here's the part that matters to me. And, and within that, it says photos directed by Bobby. This Bobby's portion of the timeline will take prevalence during this section of the cocktail hour. And then it'll come back in. And they because they know to work with me, I don't have to ask for the time to go take photos because they know I'm going to be quick. I'm going to be fast. And that my clients also expect doing something during that time frame. So you want to be that vendor that builds. And while there's a million ways to spend money, I will leave this little bit tidbit for any newbies that are starting out and agencies and veterans. You know, full disclosure, I'm a non-ambassador. I, there's only 20 of us in the country. So I do go around speaking and teaching and helping, but not just representing the not because I'm in the trenches. I represent actual, hey, let me tell you what it's like on every single Saturday to do this. I, when I started my career, you know, I didn't have a lot of money, still don't have a lot of money, but I'm very wise with what I do. I know that if my clients aren't advertising for me, I'm doing something wrong. My clients and other vendors should be the ones doing my advertising. So I, instead of having an ad in a magazine, will call up wedding planners and say, hey, on Tuesday, I'd like to take you to coffee. I don't need anything from you. Is there anything I can help your business with? What can I help you do today? Do you need any photos of florists? Hey, are you making photos for this weekend or florals for this weekend? Do you have them in your shop? Why don't I come by Thursday afternoon and let me do a couple stills for you of this great in your shop. And then you can have them to do a couple things with it. I'm still going to take some on the wedding day for you. But what if I just stop in for 30 minutes and take some snaps? Hey, Cater, are you doing some new menus? I pop into their office a lot and say, hey, I just did some fried green tomatoes. And they're still in their shoes. There's, you know, their chef coats with their name on them and a hat. But I took the time to stop in and do a few things like that for no pay because I generally want them to succeed because think about it on a wedding day team, the better everybody else is and they're, and they're comfortable with everybody you're working with, man, your client is going to get so much better service because we all get along and they can see that the number of clients that write to me and say, man, you definitely helped us get a team. You definitely surrounded yourself with team. And because of you and your relationships, we didn't worry about a thing. 
and look at the day we got. And that's the key. So while there's a ton of places to spend money in advertising, go to the simple things of calling somebody up, say, hey, I'm checking in today. I'd like to introduce myself to you. I don't need anything, but can I bring you a cup of coffee? And every once in a while, I just drop by with coffee or donuts, or I'll pick up the phone and buy lunch with somebody. Cost me 20 bucks. And the planners, and I mean, I don't call that sucking up. I generally care that I know, hey, man, I know a planner. I just had you for two times this weekend, and I know you're exhausted. So Monday morning, Monday afternoon, enjoy pizza on me. And they're just like, oh, my gosh. has nothing to do with the business part of what I do, but all to do with the business part of what I do. It's building and and, and fine-tuning these relationships at the event and outside the event. And when you build these foundations – you, these these people will want to work with you and they're going to refer you because honest to gosh, Nathan, I'm going to help make them look good because I want them to succeed as much as my clients and as much as I do. So you build these foundations and you cultivate these relationships along the way. And these other vendors will appreciate you and respect you. And then as a photographer, I never have to battle anybody for time to go out for photos. Or if I say I'm popping them out for a sunset photo, Nobody questions that I'm taking them out because they know I'm not going to be out for an hour and a half and then ruin the cake cutting. So any newbie or veteran photographers or any industry people that are listening, cultivate your relationships with your vendors in the industry and with your clients. And your clients should be screaming about how great of a service that you've done for you and talk about how great it was to have you there. And oh, by the way, the photos are great. That's something we all strive to do. Well, I think that um, after that wonderful, very inspirational talk from you that we're all going to strive to do that. And and hopefully not just in our photography businesses. Uh, And and that is very simply to focus on serving others. I mean, that's that's what it comes down to. And, And you alluded to this, but of course, the significance of a genuine spirit behind that is, is important. Right. It's going to be obvious if, if you're faking it. Um, right. so the people see to that, especially these millennials, these, these younger people, you know, they grew up, think about it, Nathan, they grew up with only reading reviews and writing reviews. So a lot of these millennials and these younger gender couples that come, they don't, they don't care about meeting you. They don't want to meet you show up on the day, do the job. I don't want to talk to you. I paid you to do a job. So it's a little bit harder, but these millennials and the younger generations also have parents who still really appreciate hi thank you mrs smith for having me here today at the end of every wedding i thank the parents whether the parents have paid me or not i thank the parents for letting me prepare their day i introduce myself to the parents right off the bat or to the key people on that day because again listening throughout the process and then observing on that day you see the key people and and and, and as silly as it sounds i'm selling myself all day long without any photos being seen. Right. And when people at the end of the day say, my gosh, I can tell that you love your job. When somebody writes on a sneak peek on Instagram, my gosh, Bobby, this photo is beautiful. I could tell on the day that you thoroughly enjoy your job. Man, that's success to me. I'm doing something right. And did that client pay me for being there? Sure. And will it hopefully bring me some more clients? Right. But it literally cost me nothing just to be me. That's who I am. And and life, and I want to treat everybody the same way and give everybody the, the same kind of chance. And again, it goes back to the, and I'm so honored. You, you're, this is a great day, and you're trusting me to capture these moments. And I want to capture everybody that's a part of it. And you go about doing things like that. And again, I, I promise you, your phone's going to ring if you're just honest. If you're trying to do this just to make the paycheck, I, I, I can't tell you that I know how to help you succeed doing that. But People see through the fakeness and people see through the, man, you're just here for this check and you don't care about me. I don't want to be that person. And, and I, I thankfully built my career believing exactly how I feel that, again, people before profits. And and it works and people know it's true. And, and you just got to step out there and be authentic. And, uh, yeah, sometimes you get beat up pretty quick and, and you get bullied around a little bit because you're so generally nice. But in the long run, at the end of the day, I sleep well. I know that uh, what I do and the gifts that I have are being shared. Oh, I love it. One, that's a beautiful way to sum up the conversation. I can't thank you enough for the inspiration that this conversation has been for sharing with us. Will you remind our listeners where they can find you both online and on social media? Sure. You already alluded to it's Bobby Brinkman, B-O-B-B-I-B-R-I-N-K-M-A-N photography.com. Instagram is Bobby Brinkman photography. And you can find me on uh, the Facebook is the same way, Bobby Brinkman photography. So definitely, you know, chit chat, Love, I love, I love DMs. I love chitting and ch- uh, chitting and chatting. That's a, good one. <laughs> that was a long day. Uh, I love chatting, and uh, I love to 
you know, help any others in any way that I can. And, uh, you know, we're in this together and, uh, together we, uh, keep making this industry strong and, uh, this wedding community, it's a, it's something that we need to protect because this craft is important and it needs to be around. And, uh, we need people that will treat it with respect and care and, uh, not just make it as a trend, but uh, authentically want to capture moments in people's lives, both happy and sad that we can share our gifts and give them something that they will have for posterity forever. And uh, they can recall that they were loved. And these photos are a reminder that people celebrated their life and their death. Mm. And uh, our job is to provide those photos and those memories in a professional manner, but with our heart. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Bobby. I really appreciate you you sharing with the Boca Podcast. All right. Good fabo. Thanks so much for listening to the Boca podcast today. Will you let us know what you think by leaving a review of the podcast in iTunes or maybe in the Apple podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast, maybe suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My direct email is nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca podcast is brought to you by Photographers Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. Thank you.